Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 494. You know, it's been a while since we've dedicated an episode just to podcast questions that have been sent in, and the email inbox is getting a little full. So this week, it's all about answering your Royal Caribbean Cruise questions. Here we go. As I mentioned, the email inbox queue is getting pretty big. You know, I like to keep the queue big enough that I'm not going to run out of questions, but also not too big that I'm answering questions from like three months ago and people are, you know, already going on their cruises. So with that in mind, this week's episode is dedicated just to listener emails. And yes, it's also an episode in which you can listen to that awesome background music that a lot of people evidently enjoy for whatever reason. Anyway, our first email today is from Roland and Lana. My wife and I love listening to your podcast. Your back catalog is entertaining and informative for many hours on the road. Following your excellent advice, we've added flights via air to sea for our upcoming May Alaska cruise on Ovation of the Seas. As you mentioned, you don't have to pay for the full amount until, until closer to your sale date, which is a really nice benefit. I received regular emails from air to sea informing me of the airline schedule changes, but I assumed they would notify me when the balance was due. Bad assumption. One morning, I opened my inbox to get the this can't be happening notice that my cruise has been canceled for non-payment on the air to sea balance, even though the cruise fare itself had been paid in full. Fortunately, I had followed another piece of your advice and booked the cruise through a travel agent. On my behalf, they spent two hours on the phone with Royal Caribbean and air to sea and got everything reinstated with only a $24 upcharge. Our travel agent was bounced from person to person and finally escalated to management to get this done. First rep wanted several thousand dollars more to reinstate the cruise and flights. Our travel agent saved our bacon. I hope this helps somebody avoid a nasty surprise. Put the final due date on your calendar and don't wait be told it's time to pay up. And Roland and Lana, thank you for the email. And, you know, air to sea is a great benefit to be able to save some money. In fact, there's some really good deals, actually, on some airfares to Europe and Alaska this year through air to sea, which we're going to be subsidizing some of those fares. But it is important to me on top of those final payment dates. I mean, I'm lucky in that sense that my travel agent at MEI Travel has always done a good job of making sure one of their policies that I like about MEI is they always ask for final payment like a week or two before it's actually due to prevent, you know, oopsies and long weekends and all those kinds of things. So, hey. Great to hear that, and I'm glad that it worked out for you in the end. But yeah, no one wants to see that kind of an email in their inbox. But what Roland and Lana are talking about is a really important factor. Travel agents. I mean, a lot of people always say, and when I talk about travel agents, the importance of travel agents, you know, I'll, off, I'll always see a comment like, I always book my cruises myself. What's the point? They just get in the way. I can't service it myself. I want to change. Like, for whatever benefits you get for doing your own reservations are greatly outweighed in situations like this when there's an oopsie, when there's a problem. My goodness, a good travel agent is worth every single penny that you're not paying them because, of course, you know, Royal Caribbean's paying the, the their price. You don't pay them anything extra. Next is an email from Nadine. Good evening, Matt. Hope all is well. You've always been very helpful to my husband and I regarding questions and concerns as we are big fans of Royal Caribbean. With that said, you know by chance when booking especially a restaurant, whether it's for lunch or dinner, prior to the sailing, and if the price should go down prior to the sailing, as Royal Caribbean is known to throw out a sale for pre-cruise purchases, we can just cancel our specialty restaurant and then rebook at the lower price, correct? This is correct. By the way, the answer is yes. Uh, does Royal Caribbean generally refund the original amount we paid, then charge us again for the new lower amount? Thank you in advance for regarding this. And the answer is yeah, yeah, actually. All your assumptions are correct. When you cancel any purchase, cruise planner before your cruise whether it's a dining reservation or a short excursion whatever uh and then rebook the same thing you're gonna get a refund back to your credit card and then they'll charge you again the full amount and and uh the refunds usually take about eh, a week or two let's go seven to ten days is usually the the norm uh at this point and the thing is for most people i feel like for most people in the grand scheme of your credit card billing cycle it should come out as a wash, right? I mean, I'd say worst case, obviously, the cancellation gets posted on one statement and the and the new 
charge is on another one. I mean, that's possible, but I feel like more often than not, it ends up being a wash on the same statement. So, Nadine, thank you for the email there. Our next email is from uh, Andrea. Thank you for your blog, YouTube, and podcast. Not only have I learned a lot from you, but listening gets me excited for my upcoming cruise on Mariner of the Seas in May. I've finally taken my 75-year-old father into cruising with me, and I cannot wait. Uh, I would love if you could provide me some insight and accessibility on cruise ships. On my upcoming cruise, my 75-year-old father will be using a mobility scooter for the first time. He can walk, but the long distance can be a challenge. He cannot do stairs. For instance, is there an elevator to the Mariner Dunes, the mini golf? He was very excited about the putter golf when choosing the ship. I do not see one on the map. What areas of the ship are typically not accessible? Any advice for seniors or those with mobility issues for embarkation into the embarkation days? Appreciate your time. And uh, and thank you, Andrea, for the email. Uh, one thing you want definitely want to check out before I say anything is check out episode 484 of the podcast. This is a podcast episode in which we talked about mobility issues uh, and, and talking about Rachel and Rebecca's experience on board. It's a recent episode. It's a really good, I, I think, uh, example of what can reasonably expect so andrea i would start off with episode 484 because ultimately that's going to be one of your best bets for figuring out exactly uh or at least a, a fact a general statement i should say of, of what you can expect on board you know i'm thinking about the mini golf course question though and that one i don't know if you can get up there if you're if you're in a wheelchair or can't climb stairs because on mariner of the seas the mini golf is you go on deck 12 and you walk all the way forward and then you walk you run into a staircase which brings you up to I guess we'll call it deck 13. I'm not sure if that's really a deck 13 or deck 12 and a half, but it does require some stairs to get up there. And I'm not familiar. There's, I, I don't think the elevator goes past deck 12. So that is an excellent question. I am stumped and I will defer maybe to somebody who is listening to this episode and email us an answer or perhaps post in the comments for this episode on realcoming But it's a good question. I apologize. I can't be more helpful with that. Uh, but in general, if you've got mobility issues, I think we talked about this in that other episode, but you know, number one, you want to bring your own stuff. So bring, if you're using a wheelchair, bring your own wheelchair. If you're a walker, bring your own walker. Royal Caribbean does not provide that, and that's really important. You can rent some of this equipment from various companies that will meet you at the cruise terminal and drop it off and then pick it up. It's pretty easy, affordable, and can be a good option there. Uh, I, I think the biggest issue is obviously make sure you have the equipment there. And then, of course, when you're doing tours, shore excursions primarily, you know, the, the the mini golf question notwithstanding, I feel like in general, the cruise ship is really good about accessibility. The issue can really be, especially in the Caribbean, is some of these ports you're visiting, uh, which do not have, you know, the same level of compliance that you see in the United States with ADA and whatnot. And I wish I could give you a better answer than that other than just plan your tours ahead of time. Don't wing it, whether you're booked through real Caribbean or you're going to go through a third party. You know, there, there's not as many options for people who truly need fully uh, accessible excursion options. So definitely pre-plan to make sure you've got everything lined up for you. Next is an email from Eugene. On a recent episode, a listener wrote in about getting an error message when trying to access their account on the Royal Caribbean website. I've been having that same problem lately as well. You mentioned it might be ad block problem or some other browser issue. So I disabled ad block on Chrome. And I was still getting the technical error message. So that wasn't the problem. I was able to successfully access my account on Safari and Microsoft Edge with no problem, so I went back to Chrome and tried again. This time, instead of Chrome autofill my account number, I erased the autofill number and manually entered the account number, and that fixed the issue. Chrome now loaded my full account page. That might be why some people are having website issues. I suggest they don't use autofill option and manually enter their account number and personal information when accessing their account. Hope this helps. As always, thanks for the great work you do. And Eugene, 
I'm, I do. This is awesome. Thank you so much. This is exactly the kind of information we, we, we rely on here and, and the help, and I really appreciate it. You know, I've noticed this too. I'm a big Google Chrome user, and there have definitely been situations in which the autofill seems to work, but the underlying form JavaScript doesn't recognize it. Uh, one thing you could do if you wanted to work around Eugene's thing is even if you do autofill, you just delete the last number or character and then re-add it back in, then it kind of sees it in some cases. That might work as well, but there you go. Um, just uh, another way to possibly uh, get around that particular issue there. So thank you, Eugene, for the email. Our next email is from Steve Thompson. Really enjoy your blog. Question, I'll be in the grand two-bedroom suite for our upcoming cruise that visits Labadee. The My Traveling Party are not in a suite. If I rent a cabana on Barefoot Beach, the description says I can bring up to seven additional guests, total eight. Can these guests be non-suite guests? We currently have three bungalows booked on Columbus Cove. May want to upgrade to Barefoot Beach as the closer to the ship. Thoughts? Uh, Steve, you are correct. You can absolutely do that. I've done that many, many times. So Barefoot Beach is relegated to just suite guests and pinnacles for the beach access. But if you're renting a cabana, whether you're a suite guest or not, you can bring a non-suite guest in there. Totally fine because they are your uh, cabana guests, I should say. And uh, they can they can go there. Not a problem at all. So yeah, that'd be a great option. And I greatly prefer Barefoot Beach. I mean, the, the, the bungalows on Columbus Cove are fine and they're really nice. But you're right, it's a closer distance to Barefoot Beach. And uh, it doesn't require going through the artisan market over there, which can be a bit of a experience. And uh, I, I like the service you get at the cabanas as well. So yeah, Steve, I think for those reasons, uh, definitely Barefoot Beach, the way to go there. So no worries at all. Next, we have an email from Paul. Hi, Matt. I think the reason European cruises are longer is because Europeans generally get a week's vacation rather than the three or four weeks that North Americans get. Also, I'd love to see Royal Caribbean change their embarkation to the way Virgin Voyage does theirs. You line up in the boarding times outside the terminal before security. They have, for example, 1 p.m. line or 1.30 p.m. line. If you're too early, they have a section marked way too early. Paul, thanks for the email. You know, regarding the, uh, I'm not sure, um, which episode we were talking about the difference between Europeans and Americans and all that fun stuff there, but you're, you're not wrong. You're actually a hundred percent right. As to the reason why European cruises tend to be longer than North American cruises. I mean, you talk about cruises in, in the Caribbean, especially people always ask, why can't we get longer sailings, you know, like 10 or 14 night sailings or even longer to go elsewhere. And the reason is because people in the United States, especially don't either have or are looking for that much time of culturally, Paul is right. And again, this is generalization, not to say that if you don't, notwithstanding, but, you know, a week of vacation is pretty much the norm for Americans, whereas, you know, Brits and, and other Europeans out there, um, I, I think they very much look at it as, you know, they look many weeks of vacation at a time. You know, living here in Florida, you'll oftentimes see a lot of Brits come down here to Florida uh, in the summertime because they're taking like a month or something off for, for school holiday. So, um, you're not wrong on that. As for the embarkation schedule and the uh, the terminal experience there, you know, what's interesting about it and what stands out, obviously, is the, you know, the, the boarding times, right? And that's what Paul is, I think, referring to, that maybe the boarding times not being enforced as well as they could be. It's an interesting question, and I guess this is one of the situations in which, unless we give, like, somebody at Royal Caribbean a lot of truth serum, I'm not sure we'll actually get the true answer on this, because Royal Caribbean has boarding times, right? And whether or not they're actually enforced or not, especially here in 2023, it really depends on the terminal and who's actually working there because I've just seen variations on the experience. I've, you know, some ports, it seems like what embarkation time and other ports are very stringent on it, but it seems like maybe Virgin does it a little bit differently. So, or, or at least enforces the rule 
either way, uh, it's it's an interesting idea, and and I appreciate that you know there, there's different options out there. I think ultimately what I what I hope is obviously if there's a policy, I'm always a big favor of the policy actually being enforced. Otherwise, what's the point of having the policy? Get rid of it. I've talked about this in, at nauseum on a lot of different issues, but you know when it comes to embarkation, it's interesting because I think a lot of people look at it and they say, well, you know, is this necessary? Is this beneficial? to what we're doing, what we're seeing, and and the overall experience. The idea behind the stagnated boarding times was, at first, to prevent overcrowding in the cruise terminal a la COVID, right? Uh, social distancing and whatnot, right? Um, I think now what it's mostly about is, again, avoiding lines and long waits, either in the terminal or around the terminal. And again, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm guessing that's what it's about. Because pre-COVID, if you remember, if you cruise back then, if you can remember back then, there were boarding times, but they were completely useless, completely arbitrary. And I had, I'm sure I've talked many, many times on this episode, on these podcast episodes, and said, just ignore them. They're completely meaningless. They mean nothing. Don't worry about it. Since COVID, I still think number one, it you do yourself a favor by getting a, an early boarding time because they will ask. So like pre-COVID, they never even asked what time you're time was that wasn't even a thing now they definitely ask and i remember when i went on a lure of the seas out of galveston in this past fall they asked me i had like a one o'clock and i showed up much earlier than that and they were like all right wait over here and they processed all the normal the people who were there on time and they let us go once the, the line went away right but i've seen other ports where they don't even ask you you know and it, but again it's it's really hit or miss it's very much why mmv your mileage may vary and i feel like uh, for all, I mean, that that's frustrating on one end because it's like, well, if I'm following the rules, so to speak, because Royal Caribbean still sends those emails and text messages out, please make sure to stay to your boarding time and all this other stuff. If you're going to go to the point of doing that and, 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 you know, um, uh, put that out there, you know, people that follow the rules, if they're going to be punished in the sense that if they could have showed up early and still got on board the ship, you know, that's a loss for them. I, I don't know. I, I feel like have the policy, force it. If not, get rid of it and go to a different policy. I think it's a, it's a better guest experience overall, but who knows? I, it's a it's kind of one of those questions I wish I could really get more information with from Royal because obviously, again, this policy was born out of COVID, but it seem, it, it's interesting where it stands today and how that works there. Overall, though, by the way, if you're all wondering, you got a cruise coming up, should I stick my boarding time? I definitely say yes. I mean, it's just at the end of the day, especially when it's warm out, Summertime, that's very much the case. In Florida, in February, it's 90 degrees already. I don't want to be standing outside unnecessarily, so I would put that out there. Our right, next email is from Brian B. Hi, Matt. My wife and I love your podcast. Never miss it. Recently booked a grand suite on Brilliance of the Seas. This will be our first time staying in anything above a junior suite. This will be our first time staying in a full suite. We're unsure of what your benefits will come with. We're staying in a full suite, aside from the suite lounge and a suite area on the pool deck. Are there any other suite class benefits we should be aware of who may have overlooked? Thanks for all that you do. Your podcasts and videos are great value to us as we plan our Royal Caribbean vacations. All right, thanks for the email. So there's a couple things that stand out because you're obviously not, not on a Quantum or Oasis class cruise ship. That doesn't mean the suite experience is bad, but it's a little more elevated on those ships. Couple things. Number one, you didn't mention the sweet concierge, which can be sometimes lumped in with the sweet lounge, but the concierge is hugely helpful. Like if you're doing a dining package, Brian, um, when you get an email a couple days before your cruise from a concierge, you can email them back and say, hey, can you also book some dining reservations for us? They can do that for you. But the concierge is really there to help you. Some of the best benefits are the priority embarkation when you get to the cruise terminal. 
There is a special line for suites. Go in that line on the last day of the cruise, last morning of the cruise. They will escort you off the ship at your discretion. It saves a lot of waiting. If you've got kids, I'm not sure, but adults too, it's helpful. So definitely take advantage of that. Reserve seatings at shows is nice. The pool deck thing is nice. I mean, I think what most people will tell you that really makes a suite stand, besides the room itself being larger and, and opulent and all that, is to be able to take advantage of the benefits of the suite lounge. You spend a lot of time on the suite lounge and the suite sun deck. Take advantage of the reserved seating. That's the biggest benefit of them all. Of course, you're going to get double crown and anchor points. Uh, that comes after the cruise. But for the on-cruise experience, you know, enjoy that suite lounge. Take advantage of it. Get your free drinks in the evening. That's really important. And 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 really leverage the concierge. I think that's a something that first couple times I stayed in a suite, I really didn't do that. And then I started using the concierge more. I was like, oh, okay. Now I get it. So, you know, go there on the first day. Introduce yourself to the concierge. And definitely, uh, you know, make the most out of it because it really does help. Our next email is from one of our regular listeners here. Ed Virus sends our email. Hi, Matt. I've been an active listener for a little over a year now. I joined you around episode 440, but began more than an hour long each way daily commute. Decided to begin binging on your older episodes. I originally started episode 200, but caught up quickly. So I decided to jump all the way back to episode one. Boy, has this been interesting from hearing excited predictions about new ships like Quantum and speculation about future ships we now know everything about. The, la the latter uh, Quantums and Oasis, later Quantum Oasis, as well as new features that turned out to be, well, not all that successful, Dynamic Dining and the Wild Bands. Not to mention, hearing as you went from the dad of only a single toddler to now the dad of two school-age kiddos. Two things I'd like to know. Number one, you rave about your beloved Sabor on Navigator, and yet it was not there when we took our January 2023 cruise. I was wondering what replaced it. Uh, that'd be hooked. Number two, you frequently mentioned in episodes leading up to episode 104, a restaurant called, and I'm probably messing this up, forgive me, Heavenly Decadence that served health and calorie-conscious cuisine. But there seems to be no current mention of this option on the website or any of their ships. Where was it and what happened to it? Thanks to the many hours of traffic made more tolerable, your loyal to royal friend, Edvira. Ed, thanks for the email, buddy. So actually, it's funny. I hadn't even thought about this restaurant in a while. This restaurant was a concept. It's now Solarium Bistro. So basically, anywhere there was a Solarium Bistro, was this heavenly decadence. Was that really the name of it? I don't remember what it was. But if you remember Quantum of the Seas when it came out, Royal Caribbean had this whole thing about uh, celebrity chefs. So like all the restaurants on board, each of them was curated by a, a celebrity chef. Uh, a great example of this was 150 Central Park was of course uh, Michael Schwartz, but then they also had uh, other restaurants. I can't think of <laughs> chefs on my head, but it wasn't heavenly, it was definitely decadence. Yeah, I think this is what it was because the celebrity chef for uh, this particular ship, I believe was a chef named Devin Alexander and she may or may not still be a chef, but I'm not sure what she's up to. Anyway, she was the celebrity chef for this restaurant called Devonly Decadence. Get it, Devin is her name, Devonly Decadence. And uh, in 20, I looked this up, 2015, it was removed on Anthem of the Seas. It went from being um, Devonly Decadence to just Solarium Bistro, which is what it is now on every other ship. And I tweeted her. This is how I found out. This is in December 2015. I said, hey, is there any truth? Devonly Decadence, Devonly Decadence being removed from Anthem of the Seas. And she said, this is her tweet. I'm reading it verbatim now. Yes, we underestimated time I need to be on ship to properly execute my vision brand. I missed really helping people and being on TV. Too many other big projects, one big charity partnership soon to be announced and food line. Wishing the best of the whole Royal Caribbean team. So, 
basically the chef pulled out of the whole project and then Rollerman was like, all right, we're just switching it over to Solarium Bistro. And that was that kind of an interesting little tidbit. And I totally forgot all about that. So yeah, it's kind of interesting where things, you know, went back. I mean, you know, we've been doing the podcast, I think since 2013. And, you know, it, a lot has changed, not only for myself, but for Royal Caribbean, for RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Uh, and that's kind of the neat thing about the internet is we can go back to these old podcast episodes and there's still helpful information in them. I, I really truly believe that. But at the same time, it's also an interesting look back at what we thought about a real Caribbean cruise and how much of that has changed and some of the trends and differences compared to today. It's just a, if you're a student of, of the cruise industry, looking back is, is a really fun thing to do. I'll often look back and this is how much of a nerd I am. I'll often look back at some of our old roundup articles. If you're familiar on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, every Sunday I do a roundup article in which I just kind of, you know, list out some of the uh, updates and news from this past week. And if you look at the articles from, you know, a year or two ago, three years ago, four years ago, it is amazing what the big things were back then. And it's kind of like going in a time machine and being able to say, oh, that's going to work. That's not going to work. That was a bad idea. That was a good idea. It's just, you know. I, I find that kind of thought process interesting. It's always nice to reminisce or or think back anyway. Next, we have an email from Kurt Pressure, one of our other longtime listeners and frequent guests on the podcast. We're going on a Mediterranean cruise starting from the port of Ravenna, Italy, since we'll, be, we'll have some time ahead of the cruise where we can purchase something. What happens if we purchase hard liquor or wine above the bottle limit for the cabin? As long as the port stops with the itinerary, there is, someone, is there someone to collect the bottles at the ship's entrance? But on embarkation day, I don't think that happens. Can it be held until we disembark? Um, so traditionally, if you bring too much alcohol or you bring alcohol you're not supposed to have, they will just confiscate it and give it back to you at the end of the cruise. This is same, by the way, Kurt, if you bring a prohibited item on board. So, um, and, and if you're, if you're purchasing alcohol in port, like you're on one of your day three and you purchase whatever, whether it's tequila in Cozumel or a bottle of wine in Italy, uh, they'll confiscate it when you get on, when you go through security, they'll see it, they'll confiscate it and they'll give it back to you. So that's a worry at all. You should definitely be okay with doing that be aware by the way of some of the liquor laws of you know when you come back at customs from the u.s and all that but no it's totally fine um they'll hold it for you and you should get it uh for liquor you or wine you should be getting it on the last day of the cruise uh delivered to your room to be able to brought home with you so there you go thank you for the email there next email is from the giannis we enjoy listening to you and you heard mention that but no one seems to give any hints as to what royal Green might be doing when liberty of the seas is a refresh we're selling on January 1st, 2023 in an ultra spacious promenade room. We decided to go with this hearing. It was one of the hidden gems that a lot of people don't know about. The double-sized promenade room that is perfect for a family of four. We did balcony staterooms on Harmony and always felt crowded. Anyways, back to Liberty of the Seas. Is there any word on if they'll install the Coca-Cola freestyle machine beverage machines? Really surprised that they were not already on there. Any info you can find out would be great. Thank you again for all the advice that you give everybody. We'll look forward to listening in and getting more tips. By the way, wife is looking forward to trying a lava flow with Kraken Rum, something you've brought up some time ago on your blogs. Wife said she got to try it and saying it seems like it's going to be really good. Thank you for the email, and your wife is absolutely right. It's an amazing drink, well worth the bazillion calories that are in there. Um, for the as for the upgrades and what Liberty will or will not get, don't know. Um, she's not going to get an amplification. We already know that. I mean, you can look at uh, the fact that Explorer of the Seas went in for dry dock earlier this year. She did get new water slides, but Liberty already has those. Anyway, if, if it's interesting because Royal Caribbean like never announced anything. I mean, they don't they don't talk about dry docks uh, at all unless it's an amplification. And there's a difference. Dry dock is when you go in, ship goes in for maintenance work, which is what Liberty's gonna be doing and Explorer's done. And 
Mariner of the Seas is finished and Symphony of the Seas is doing right now. It's just every five years, cruise ships go in for maintenance work. It's under the hood, kind of. It's like bring your car in for oil change. Nothing really exciting. They just, you know, refresh some things. Usually what you'll see is, well, obviously the ship goes into dry dock so they can clean and service the engines and, and, and the propellers and all that. They usually also resurface public areas. So you'll see pool decks being redone. You will see maybe the promenade deck or, you know, like decks that have a lot of foot traffic, carpeting being refreshed, but the cabins rarely, if ever, get changed out. The new, like, amenities, like, hey, there's a new restaurant or there's a new um, venue, you know, activity, though, that's not going to be part of this thing, right? Whereas amplifications, yeah, Real talks about all that and, like, hey, look, all these cool things coming there. But uh, as of right now, those are all on hold. So, uh, whether or not Coca-Cola freestyle machines will be added or anything remains to be seen. Royal Caribbean doesn't say a word about it for these just dry docks, which is what Liberty's doing. So it's really anybody's guess as to what you can expect. Uh, the good news is usually uh, after about the first sailing or two back in service, there's usually enough reports of anything particularly interesting. But if I were you, I would expect just new carpeting and paint work and, and that kind of stuff. So I think it's exciting, but still a good ship. And by the way, I've I, I already seen, by the way, the movie screen on Liberty of the Seas is functional again. Broken for a long time, but it's working. So good news on that front. And our last email today comes from Bob Noxious, one of our other. We've got a lot of great emails from a lot of great longtime listeners. My wife and I are going on a waste of the seas out of Cape Liberty for seven nights in June. We have a limited dining package. My question is, can we eat lunch at places like Portside Barbecue or Playmakers, then later that night go to dinner around 6 p.m. at 150 Central Park, then even later go back to Playmakers again was a nighttime wings before this app serving at 11 p.m. Yes, I know it's a lot of food, but we're talking unlimited here. Thanks again. Keep up the awesome work with the podcast. Make my commute work enjoyable. And the answer is yes and no. You can do almost everything there. You cannot go to Playmakers twice in the same day. So you could go to Portside Barbecue and Playmakers in the same day. That's fine. You cannot go to Portside or Playmakers again in the same day. So let's use your plan for an example. You go to lunch at Portside or Playmakers. You could do this. You could do Portside Lunch. More than enough food. Go to dinner at 1.50 at 6 p.m. And then go to Playmakers at 11. That is all fine. That, that would work fine. But what you can't do is go to lunch at Playmakers, then go to 1.50 for lunch, and then go to Playmakers again the same day. That would not work. So I want to make sure that's, that's very clear. That's one of the new changes Real Green implemented with the dining package uh, there. So, Bob, thanks for the email, buddy. Appreciate it. And thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Real Green Blog Podcast. Uh, of course, if you want to send me your emails to be read, Hopefully in a reasonable amount of time. I'm doing pretty good about it. We're catching up here. You can always send it to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCreamBlog.com. Matt, at RoyalCreamBlog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.